1: Today we'd like to introduce to you Jamal Douglas, an actor based in Los Angeles known for his role as an actor in the quiet room, Africa as a country, and painter. Born in Baltimore and raised just outside of Washington, D.C., Jamal Douglas didn't speak a lot as a kid. When he did, some did not understand what he was saying. Speech was a challenge for Jamal, which resulted in receiving support from a speech therapist. His speech therapist came to the conclusion that nothing was wrong with Jamal, and he just learned at a different pace. Jamal shares his amazement of how his voice has now become the largest asset as a stage and film actor, but most importantly, what he has to say about the art that he is so attached to. Jamal obtained a diploma from Suitland High School in Prince George's County, Maryland, with high recognition in the visual and performing arts. He went on to study acting at Arcadia University with an opportunity to study abroad in Cape Town, South Africa. After graduating, Jamal spent a few years in Philadelphia, performing political theater at the National Constitution Center, understudying and working at various regional theaters, in addition to working with young playwrights. Please welcome Jamal. Thank you for joining us.
0: So thank you again for taking the time out of your, your day to speak with me on creative habits podcast um how are you doing during these crazy pandemic times
2: you know interestingly enough i'm doing well in the beginning of everything the first few months especially COVID, going into you know george floyd still dealing with Breonna taylor and all these other deaths you know mm-hmm. uh it was going from this place of like yo i have a break because of COVID, i could be in the house for two weeks i'm an introvert by nature anyway i'm like in the middle and then this anger came, this very, this anger that took me out of the space that I normally exist in. Cause I exist in like looking for happiness and joy. And it was about a month and a half where I could not get out of the angry space. Mm-hmm. And then I had some cosmic mystical things happening that kind of forced me into a place of isolation just to go inward, to mm-hmm. see how my role in the world as me has played a role in this big machine that you know we are all trying to fight. Because I do think that getting to specificity of you <laughs> and what's your purpose in it will open up space to have more joy. Because I don't think I wanna die early because I'm stressed about all this stuff. I wanna be purposeful every day. And so I'm doing well in this complex space, You know, up and down every day, but I'm managing. I have art that is speaking about these things and creating.
0: And so that's guiding me through uh you know so yeah i'm all right that's pretty good my uh grandfather always told me uh you can never get mad at things that you can change and things that you can't change mm-hmm. You know, it's just putting that 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 energy in and in, into stuff that um won't really make a difference unless you uh have a purpose to make a difference you know what i mean mm-hmm.
2: Yep. And that's bigger than ever these days. And because we were forced into this, all of us into this isolation, I Mm. feel like in pockets all over the planet, because this is just what happens when you're forced to be alone. I mean, there's so many messaging and whatever spiritual text you choose to read Mm. or whatever fiction or nonfiction book you choose to read, there's all these moments where the main character has to go into a place of isolation Mm. in order to find themselves, whether you're forced there or you go there. And it doesn't look pretty because it can be very detrimental or it can be very like, ah, I can do this, but it's scary. And so I think that's the clashing that's happening everywhere too, is that everyone has had to look at themselves and now we're all reacting with the energy of, looking at what is
0: yeah i could see uh the positive behind the isolation because we're so used to this wake wash work routine and always have to hustle and bustle and we never really like you said look within ourselves you know and take a break and i guess sit down and and smell the roses per se because we're always on the go especially with a, a career like yours or um just working in general it, it's taxing to the spirit mm-hmm.
2: very taxing and then you have to learn how to balance that and here's the mm-hmm. thing too even if you don't even rock with the spirit or use the language like that work is still happening within you that inner yeah. work and in outer world you know everybody mm-hmm. goes home with themselves you yeah. know what i mean you go to sleep by yourselves you dream by yourself so even if you're not a person of faith you're mm-hmm. still having a spiritual <laughs> experience you know and so it's so interesting knowing that and knowing that to be true it's not a belief is what i know to be true and then seeing the space that we don't give each other to see you know Mm because when we're in that reactive space we're just shouting at each other right Mm -hmm. but like nobody's able to see that oh the thing that i'm actually angry at about you there's a crevice in me that knows what that is my context is just different like the context mm-hmm. for my anger is different than yours, but if we can just access what has made us angry and those mm-hmm. little kids inside of us, the human experience, if you're breathing, mm-hmm. then, you know, I think we can like get through the mess in a, not a quicker way, but in a more productive way. But, you know, there's a lot of people with a lot of opinions. We're in 2020, social media, everybody
0: got something to say. Including <laughs> everybody, <you. laughs> everybody. So tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you, what inspired you to become an actor? Yeah,
2: great question. Mm-hmm. As a kid, I always thought that I would be a lawyer. And that was because I think I came into this world just feeling like there was a lot of injustice, even within my house and stuff like that, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and so I always thought that I would be a lawyer. And then through like school and writing a lot and then seeing my creativity through my writing, how I would write essays was just coming from like this very active place. Like I would put scenes mm-hmm. within what I was describing whether it was history or whatever. Like I would put real people within the midst of that so that we can see the reflection of us in it. And I think mm-hmm. that just led me to Suitland. It was the first time I ever did a monologue. <laughs> first mm-hmm. time I ever got on stage at all. Um, and yeah, I got in. And then even at that time, I still thought that I would be a lawyer. And then I think me in my class, you know, we were very, all of our teachers before y'all came were white. <laughs> and then they all quit at the end of our freshman year. So we felt very abandoned. Wow. And then we started, yeah, we felt so abandoned. And, and we saw that the work that we were putting in front of us, the classical things, and even the plays were always from a white perspective. It did not mm-hmm. reflect us at all. And so freshman year, we started writing our own shows, reflecting our community, and then started um, a little theater company called Unleashed Talent Productions. And I think that's what really activated my activism, purpose, and how to navigate art, because I always want to tell stories to reflect us to do something. Mm-hmm. Um and so that's really how I got going. And that's, you know, even when I got away from it, I wasn't conscious of that. It's always come into what I've been doing, you know, even in college, locking my hair at this white school after freshman year. I was working mm-hmm. at Abercrombie and Fitch brother. <laughs> and I went to the costume designer and the head of the department, Mark Wade, only black man teaching in the program. Still today, shame. And uh I went to them, I said, I'ma lock my hair. And it's like, okay, the black man, Mark, he was like. Okay, I don't know if that's gonna look good on you. <laughs> and I was like, mm-hmm. okay, whatever. And I'm <laughs> the costume designer at I'm like, oh like you say, that's so cool. <laughs> Let's see how it works over the years. And so I've always been fighting against changing myself in order to tell the stories that doesn't reflect us because it's white mm-hmm. shit. You know, and so yeah, that's how I got started. That's how I got into this thing, and I'm still running my mouth with the art
0: today. It's hard trying to exist and be who you truly are when the European standard of pretty much everything around us just like keeps kicking us down. It is, it's, it's, it's crazy.
2: Yeah. It's very crazy. And I think too, with that, cause like I'm classic, I got my MFA mm-hmm. from the old globe university of San Diego, which is a classical training program, meaning we do a lot of Shakespeare, which is different than all the other programs. Mm-hmm. Um, we're based in Shakespeare. That's the bulk of what we do. 80%. And, you know, being around that and only seeing stories written by white people mm. and then looking at the roles that you end up in and like the world thinks that it's a great role. It's like it's a great role. Like, yeah, this is great. It's like you're playing the king, Jamal. I was like, yeah, but you have to realize that in this context, I'm playing the king that is the comic relief to all mm. of the disaster going on. Mm -hmm. Black people always exist as the comic relief for the bullshit that white people are doing. So yeah, I'm playing a king, but the character of that king, like... You know, like being told that, you know, you're not looked at as the heartthrob when you come in, Jamal. And I'm like, bruh, did you look at my resume before you accepted me? I was playing mad Shakespearean lovers before I got here. What are you talking about? You know, but the context of being the only person of any color in my class and for a lot of other black people that came through the program, your casting kind of reflected how the world sees you within the context of whiteness without Mm -hmm. them even being conscious of it at all. They think you're doing a great job. Oh my God, you're so great at that role. I'm like, get on my face.
0: (laughs) I think a lot of it is the narrative that's embedded in our society and media Um, being the token black kid or thug number two on a movie. It's like um, Mm -hmm. when we don't control the narrative that is all they will see us as and is like normalized to them in a sense.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Which is why it's always great to keep pushing for more diversity in the writer room and Mm -hmm. you know, who's creating the art because if they're only telling our stories from their perspective, you're going to have those blind spots. And if you only have one black man in that room, you know what I mean? I have a singular perspective from my blackness. And like, you're going to have to ask Philip what his blackness means to him. Like they lump the group of blackness into these categories of big things. And it's like, We're never a monolith. Even if I am a little weird and a little emo, like you still got to ask each emo black motherfucker how they relate to the world. It got to be that specific. And so when we talk about diversity, there's always like one in the room. And I think that making the one the standard is still problematic too. Like true diversity is just really having the room reflect what society actually looks like. And those rooms are still unbalanced
0: in that way. It's just troubling to me that black culture black mannerisms black um music uh just the way we move and maneuver through the world it's like the heartbeat of american culture you know hip hop mm-hmm. music for example world and,
2: culture man Yeah, everywhere. world culture
0: everywhere you know um and without us america and the world wouldn't really have any soul per se <laughs> you know what i mean so um, that's a fact we bought the soul <laughs> yeah, yeah we bought the soul you know but um i am glad to see um an insurgence of isa rays and um mm-hmm. not too long ago black panther all black casts, and um yeah. you know it's it's looking brighter ar- uh, along the horizon and um i really appreciate that uh, it's long overdue but um I hope it just opens the doors for like younger and and black creators like you to um progress and and do your real, your real purpose in your field.
2: Yeah. We just got to stay present in because I you know sometimes I think again going back to the anger cuz I can get angry. I'm just really good at keeping that at home so I can like go out here and be kind to people cuz I'm a nice mm-hmm. person by at heart, <laughs> you know. But the anger too can like stunt like how your purpose is working, like the anger is there to activate action, right? Mm -hmm. Not to stay angry, you know? Mm -hmm. And so yeah long overdue but like it's happening now so let's be active in what's happening now and if we keep being active in the now this progressively is going to now continue to get better and be great for all of us you know as soon as we get comfortable we're like oh yay we got one which is like what happens a lot because again mm-hmm. that's the standard when there is no one when we get one we're like yay we're mm-hmm. like we got one cool let's keep working let's keep working you know we got one cool congratulations boom how can I support you cool let me know let's keep working let's keep working and sometimes the overexcitement excitement gets us comfortable and then we cycle back around to unbalance again we got to always be on this stuff and be aware of it and not lose the consciousness of
0: mm-hmm. evolution
2: and what our world looks like and being active in this thing
0: absolutely absolutely so your first performance was at sulin uh yeah so actually
2: my first performance was in I did do a play in middle school, but that was like a one off thing, two week thing. But mm-hmm. I, so I would say that it was Suitland, and I played <laughs> Oberon in a Midsummer's Nice Dream mm-hmm. my freshman year at Suitland. And my God. The fear that I had even being cast in that cause I was the only freshman with a role of such magnitude within this piece, mm-hmm. you know, and I did not know what I was doing, or at least I felt like I did an imposter syndrome. And I did. not I was a freshman. I was 14. I didn't know what I was doing. I was playing. And, uh, yeah, that really like ignited me because it was successful. I had a lot of fun. I brought me to it. I brought like a lot of, you know, the Harlem Shake in there when mm-hmm. he's getting possessed or whatever. It was really cool to be fun, have my afro out and be me within this Shakespearean world that I didn't relate to at the time. Yet I was intrigued by the language. I felt like I had a place in that world somewhere that I was going to carve out, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, rework the image of this shit. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, first performance, Suitland. First big performance, I would say
0: even though you have a, like a a lot of prestigious accomplishments academically um do you still hold any like underlying principles that you learned from Suitland and um use that in your acting today
2: absolutely i think the gift of of clay you know yeah. isis yeah <laughs> the gift of her coming in when she did my junior year of college I think changed the trajectory of how I looked at myself in the world because I had a teacher who looked like me Mm. who came from a context that was similar to me, you know, native American and black, Mm. (laughs) you know? And so there was like this soul that came with her. So in the most important years of high school, I think before you're about to go into the world, I had someone that was a teacher and a friend Mm. and that validated my presence and my voice because she never silenced our voices. You know, like we had a voice that was appreciated. And so I entered the world from the acting standpoint that my voice, my thought always mattered. You know, and so if I ever got into a space after that where someone tried to tell me what it was, I always was like, no, but we still got to process a little bit further because I don't understand what you're saying. So, like, can we, like, talk a little bit more? (laughs) Can we try this again? Actually, can I challenge that direction? Actually, I'm just going to do something real quick. Can I challenge that? And that's because I had a teacher in high school who embraced that challenging Mm -hmm. all the time and the conversation all the time. Um, And so as an actor, that's how I exist in every space like validating my voice and my right to speak up and trusting my gut if something doesn't feel right. Not just in the script, but like in the atmosphere that we're working in, you know? Mm
1: -hmm.
2: So I think that's the biggest thing that I took away Um, from Suitland that I still carry in every space. Like, I was just on the phone with Clay, like, what, two months, a month ago? Because I got a teaching gig that I got, and I was like, how do I do this lesson plan? How do I do this thing? And we were on the phone for an hour and a half going through it, and I got the gig, you know? And it was, like, so cool, you know, that that's a a resource for me still today. Like, that's my homie, you know? Yeah, yeah. So that was the greatest gift in the high school. that taken me everywhere.
0: Miss Clay, um she made a safe space for us in that green room. You know, it was like mm-hmm. a real sense of community. And she was almost like, um, I would say a a, 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 second mom, you know, and, um, she would embrace you. Um, she would encourage you. And if you ever did something that she wouldn't approve of, she wasn't afraid to say it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep. Like she yep. was so blunt and, um, actually she was my first guest on the podcast and uh yes <laughs> and um i'm just glad she helped spark and develop the the hunger for the arts in so many people man um uh, she she was a great she's a great person
2: yep and then also what she sacrificed too like she was there so present for so many years beyond mm-hmm. where she had planned to but she stayed because she cares about us, you know? Yeah. And I think that's the art thats the of sensibility too. When you care about what's being awakened in the youth that you're teaching mm-hmm. and you say, all right, I'm going to hold off on this. I'm going to hold off. And then taking the risk after so long to say, I'm going back out there, yes. <laughs> you know, back yeah. into the industry. I'm passing this over. Like it's such a beautiful, inspirational vision to have to see. Like your teacher grinding out here, like you're grinding out here mm-hmm. and, you know, It's so amazing to have that. And like, that's a gift. It's a gift and not a mistake that all of us have that in her. It's not a mistake. Like we all met each other for a reason.
0: Absolutely. So um, what's your philosophy towards acting?
2: The truth is Mm. my philosophy towards acting. And let me break down the truth a little bit. I'm going to explore the idea. (laughs) I didn't know this question was coming. Mm. But the truth of who we are, right? And so oftentimes I think this is natural for most human beings, whether you realize it or not, like shaming ourselves is like Mm -hmm. a thing that we do or judging ourselves is a thing that we just do. Somehow we learn it some way, somehow. And it's something that we do all the time. And so when you go to a character in a show and you're reading it on a page, something that comes in is shaming a human being on the page for who they are, how they exist based on their context and their history. And so Mm -hmm. the truth is, is being able to look at a character that's not like you finding where you connect and finding what's different and validating it as a human experience. And once you do that, then you can kind of, through your being, tap into this other being and tell the truth so that the audience can get the lesson (laughs) that's Mm. coming spiritually through the written word to be presented to us. That's why we go to media, right? We go to media and we watch shows to see reflections of us, you know, Mm. like you watch Avatar. It's a real reflection of us. You know, you watch any superhero story, it's a reflection of us. The superhero story is exactly what I say. You have this ego and then it's knocked down. You go to isolation, you find your purpose, you save the day on purpose, you Mm -hmm. know? And so getting to the truth of humanity is the thing of an actor and being intrigued by that. And being in the, I I just teaching this monologue class and I was telling the kids that I want to awaken your sense of wonder about the person on the page. First, awaken the wonder about who you are. You don't have to get who you are. You don't have to understand your all your emotions or your thoughts, but just accept that those things float through your being. And then look at the character on the page and wonder about what's floating in that being, you Mm. know, and that's how you get to the truth to present that character. It takes a lot of work (laughs) because you got to get yourself out the way. Mm. And then sometimes you, the character will reveal things about yourself that you didn't know yet. You know, that's what the written word does, whether you're reading poetry or play a script. Um,
1: yeah.
0: So is that the method behind your process? Um, let's say it, there's a character who's totally unlike you. How to, how do you process that character and put yourself in that character's shoes to be, to bring that character to life
2: yeah so i'm the how i exist in life is the same way that i work and so i go in first i go into me first um you know they say this about you know denzel like denzel is a personality actor like denzel is denzel and everything yet he's himself within the truth of a different human being right Um, And then another reference would be like a Forrest Whitaker or Mel Streep character actors who are always like you can tell that this is a character that they're playing. You know, like the line between them and the character is very clear because you see that person in an interview. You don't hear that voice. You don't see that look. You don't see those things. Right. I kind of exist as an actor kind of in the middle. I play a lot of characters and I also play a lot of like lovers and sensitive like beings that are like me. And so for me, I always, even when I'm doing the character stuff, I go inward first and I have to find out what sits with me, what relates with me. And then in the moments where I'm hitting the wall, that's where I feel like, you know, chakras and things (laughs) like I feel certain blockages in my being. And then that will influence like a physicality, you know, or like how how I stand, like where I'm feeling the energy, where the block is with the human on the page. And so I go inward first to find out how I relate. I become hyper aware and conscious of where I don't relate and where my body reacts and where my voice reacts. And then I let those things, I kind of play around with those things settling in and then I see what happens physically. And then through that, some magical thing happened that I honestly can't describe it It's kind of, I don't have the words yet to describe it. Some magical thing happens where things start to fall into place. You know, the body begins to connect to the voice And you always get blocked where, like, for me, usually where I'm getting blocked is where the connection between me and the character where I thought was different was so different is not. (laughs) And it's trying to negotiate the two, you know, the two uh, souls, the character's soul and my soul, trying to negotiate. Okay, okay, I don't see exactly where that's coming from, but I got this thing going on with you. Okay, okay, okay. And that's where I don't know how to explain what happens there. I kind of just trust my gut and the impulses there and see if I'm able to breathe through it. If I'm able to breathe through it, then I can say, oh, that's honesty. That's the truth for this character. If I'm holding my breath, if I'm overextending myself, if I'm always stressed when I'm done, I'm like, ah, I'm not in it yet. I'm not in it yet. It's not there yet. The humanity isn't there yet because I'm not breathing in it. And so, yeah, that's me in this
0: crazy world of acting and breaking down things. This is just my personal belief. Um, I believe that we all have many different past lives and (laughs) we can connect. And those lives are different in so many ways that whenever you're going into a role, you can meditate, you can... um, think deeply about those past lives that you live and you can pull from that and bring it to, I guess, the forefront of the character. You're
2: speaking my language, bro. That's, what, that's the experience. <laughs> that's the that's the experience. That's the experience. Like when I'm really working on some acting stuff, TV and film is kind of interesting in a different way. Cause unless where I'm at right now, unless I'm working on a film where I have a character that has a full arc TV, sometimes there's co-star and guest star stuff. And it's like a one-liner. It's like, okay, how deep you're going to get, <laughs> you know? But there, I go into this place of isolation, like even in the world, it's like, I start to see things differently and your dreams become differently. And like, you know, your dreams are connection to path lives too, because it's the moment where you're most present and you go into this deep space of rest where you can kind of see, you know, I always use the analogy of working out, right? Like your muscles don't grow when you're in the gym, they grow when you're resting. Right. And so I feel like that's how the spirit works as well. And that's how the information from past lives and things like that exists in scents and colors or like not that color car or like mm, not going there today. Like that, that is how the past lives kind of like influence, you know, the evolution of your soul as it upgrades through these lives as well. And so I find that happening a lot. And especially with recent events in my life and looking back <laughs> over my life, I'm starting to see where those things have always been happening. Um, And I love to enter the art that way because I think the art for me is a spiritual thing, especially doing it very young in high school for by way of community outreach and doing political theater in high school, you know, that like spoke truth to power, like staging walkouts at Suitland, (laughs) you know what I mean, when they wouldn't let us do our show, talking about things going in our community, like that heartbeat and even that is a representation of like all these different human beings who have these past lives and us being black and knowing the history of that and that ancestry with us feeling that heartbeat and something whenever I'm working on something like the immediacy of that. Um, and I feel weird about it sometimes. Cause sometimes people are like, Oh, this is this basic stuff. And I'm like, nah, 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 no, it ain't <laughs> actually. No, no, no. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so I definitely agree with you. That's a good, that's a good, uh,
0: notice. Um, speak let's stay on characters for a minute have you had any like super dramatic roles that was um hard to shake off later on after the production was done oh
2: hard to shake off when the production is done no no you know that's interesting i haven't i think In the process, because I go into a place of isolation to work on things, when I go back into the world and I start to see things differently, I make it a point to really get with my family, get with my friends and like shoot the shit just so I can remember what's real. Um, I think that for me, um, it can be dangerous for me to get lost and not be able to disconnect because I think my spirit and the empathetic spirit that I have already has challenges letting go of other people's stuff and knowing what's other stuff and who's my stuff and like, why am I heavy? I actually, everything's good. Like I already have that. And so I make it a point to give myself a process of letting go immediately after. Um, even when I go to an audition, I do something for myself afterwards, you know, I rip up the script, I forget about it. I'm like, well, that's done. Um, and so I can't recall, I think if I can recall one thing I was understudying, And I wasn't playing the role. I was understudying it, but I worked on it like I was playing it because that's what I do. And I was understudying Blair Underwood and Othello at the Old Globe. And that was something that was really, really interesting, because although he set the foundation for his Othello and I went where he went on stage, my Othello was different, you Mm -hmm. know, because I worked on it. Like I picked up the nuances and the spaces in between and everything like it was juicy for me because I'm always like the voice of opposition. Right. And so I just love doing that. And that was the one that haunted my dreams throughout the process. I was able to let it go every day, but that guy would come up in my dreams all the time. And the reasoning why, as I'm piecing things together now in this moment, is because I think Othello really represents this shame and this world that, you know, creates this image of our emotions, our pain, our jealousy, our sensitivity, and we're made to be seemed weak because of it. And so we don't have a safe space to actually share those things. And then when you have this white power dictating and navigating things in ways you don't understand, and then you think this is your boy, and then of course you would trust this person. You went to war with this person. Why would he not? Yet the world in the play Shuns Othello. No one feels for him. Right. Except for, you know, Desdemona, of course. And then you leave the play and everybody's coming to you afterwards saying, why is he so dumb? Why is he so jealous? Why would he believe? Like it's it goes again to like just black people not being believed or being seen for their emotions or pains because they're being lied and manipulated. And there's this this psychology and this long psychological trauma. It's like I think that's why that was haunting my dreams, because I think I saw myself, uh, And Othello in a way that I had never had because I had only been in the judgy space of him and hearing that. And then I really start to see the complexities that we rarely talk about, unless you're playing Othello and you're the Black man having the conversation about what's going on in his inner life and why he reacts the way that he does when the whole world closes down on him and everything he thought that he could trust, you know, started to look like everything he had to
0: question. It's definitely a reflection of what a lot of black people go through <laughs> in society today you know art mm-hmm. imitates life i definitely see how you can how that character character can attach itself to you mm-hmm. and someone said the director said
2: this and the director said this, I'm not going to say his name just because you know we're going into that stuff but he said at one point in the play he said that this play to me is not about race it's about jealousy hmm hmm and when he said that, I was like, what? You know, like that rung. I was like, jealousy is a big thing. This is a jealousy thing. He's jealous. And the man was like, wow. But like, yo, we really just strip the deep, deep stuff of this context its not, it's about jealousy. That's not the main thing that's about. Like there's gender things going on here. There's like, you have these women being possessed by their men and making choices in order to possess the women that they are with. So there's a control there. There is this race thing. Cause you have this more, a singular black motherfucker in the midst of this white world, seen as a hero, so put on a pedestal where he should be thriving. Yet they put him on that pedestal and then eat him down. Kind of looks like the contrast of like having an Obama and then having a Trump, yeah. honestly. And so, and so when he when I go back and I listen to that and I see what he was doing and I don't say his name because I think he he does recognize the race layers and the gender thing in there. Um, I think this was a statement just to kind of connect the big idea he wanted to explore in the production. Um, but that statement is what opened up so, so many more complexities. I saw the women completely different in that play. I saw the nuance of the deception and the manipulation in a completely different way. And I saw the complications of the conversation after that play, the reason why the world comments on it the way that they do, like the people who are shunning Othello looks a certain way. (laughs) And the people who are like, doesn't even mention Iago like oftentimes no one even mentions his manipulation and what he's doing they're like Othello was dumb and I'm like ha ah, that's interesting
0: it reflects our world <laughs> it reflects our world I'm pretty sure there's a lot of no's in the acting career um mm-hmm. when going to auditions or trying to seek out certain roles how do you deal with that process yeah it used to be
2: hard for me when I and transition. And so transitions are always difficult because after college, I moved to a new city. So those were hard because you need to pay bills and you need to find a job and you need to do things and you're an artist. So money is never the main thing, although it's like I need to make money. I want to make money. It Don't come as fast as you wanted as an artist. Um, but then I got comfortable realizing that, oh, where I exist in the theater space or where I had existed in the theater space in Philly was creating new work was devising new plays, which was also looking back now, it's like, oh, your voice being included in the process, your voice being included in what's being said. Um, and so I got comfortable with no's because I was not I was no longer looking for yeses because I had like a tribe of people who were coming for my voice to devise things. And so that was a place where like, ah, it felt like Unleashed talent. We devised those things together. It felt like my roots. Um, transitioning from grad school to LA to this world of, you know, vanity and money you know that's the big thing it's like how much muscles do you have how ambiguous are you racially how tall are you like it's all about image first that's changing but it that's the space that still exists here in a big way and so your nose starts to feel like for me the insecure little boy that didn't come into that didn't exist growing up is like I got it like that the world didn't relate to me as a black man in a way I felt a lot of I had a lot of shame on myself based on how I exist or looked in the world or felt in the world or how my voice was received. And so hearing the nose in L.A. kind of made me feel insecure about myself. I was like, what are they seeing? Like, like what is what, what's the reflection? I remember one day I'm a vulnerable guy. I, I love talking about this stuff. I remember going to an, a, a meeting with an agent and they just said, we don't know what we're going to do with you. Like you have great experience, but like this means nothing here. And it felt like everything that i worked for, everything that I have been. And I knew in the moment that that wasn't the truth. But however, hearing that that's how I'm being seen, that my training, oh, you're so talented. You're so great. I just don't know where you're going to fit in. You know, it yeah. wasn't about my talent. It was all about image and about all these things of how I'm seen in the world. And I called my mom. I was on this windy road. I had to pull over and I was just crying. It was raining too. And I was like, mom, I always feel like i am never enough and that wasn't about the industry that was just in life you know that was in life I always felt like I was never enough and of course that was a part of my own suffering because the truth is I am enough and nobody was making me feel that way I think it was just this inner world of like feeling abandoned you know uh you know from dad and like feeling like always having to go out by yourself to figure out things or figure out how to do these things And so the nose got really tough when I started to see that the nose it wasn't about the gig it felt like I was being denied. And so that took me into a place again <laughs> of finding me, you know, which took however long that took. And through a gig that I got playing um, this guy, Michael, in this queer horror film called The Quiet Room, where the character looked like my brother. My brother's schizophrenic and bipolar um, and has contemplated his life many times. And this character was that a queer man who had contemplated his life many times lost the lover, and that landed him to almost taking his life in the hospital. I got to art that was really speaking to the healing of me and my brother. And that's when I got back into like my being, took time, but that's when I was like, ah, it's not about the yeses. It's about ending up in the room where you're supposed to be. And when you get the job, it's because it was for you. Like that gig that reflected me And my brother in this space of horror where black leads don't exist, they're starting now with Jordan Peele, but then again in this queer space too, and I exist as me, and I'm not a stereotype, you know what I mean? There was so much um, things for me in that that was so specific to my opening up. And even at that time too, I was out as a bi man, but I wasn't like on social media. And I still, I'm still not like, I'm Jamal. Like why I just, I don't get it why I would, (laughs) you know, but that piece landed me that we did 40 festivals worldwide, you know, and I was at interviews in New York and in California and in different places. And, you know, talking about how I connect to this character as a bi man, how I connect with my brother, who deals with mental illness, and exposing who I am. And that brought in this energy that showed me, again, that, oh, your purpose in this art world isn't to try to be or try to get their yeses. It's to say yes to yourself. And then the work will reflect that yes that you're saying to yourself. The law of attraction. You start to attract the things that are for you, the people that end up in your circle, your homies, like the conversations you're having. Ends up in the writer's room. And that's when the nose started not to matter. I get auditions every now and again today. Uh, I don't exist as only an actor <laughs> anymore. You know, I'm a teaching artist. I'm on a board with this amazing organization I've been with since I was in college, working with youth that stutters in the performing arts and creating a show with some alumni from that program. And so, again, realizing that. Never go for their yeses. If you're going outside of yourself to be validated, you're off track. And so those no's were hard. until so I went back to say yes to myself. And that's when I got on track because now I'm no longer seeking for a yes. I'm just existing. And the yeses come because they're supposed to be for me.
0: Mm. You can't let other people define you. You define yourself.
2: Yeah. And that goes through every, I'm realizing that that literally, that, that, that phrasing, that philosophy works, whatever you do as a doctor, as a lawyer, as a teacher, as a, you know, as a trash man, as a politician. Like, you know, if you go into you, like your work and it looks and it feels different. Like you're not reaching outside of yourself. Like it just becomes your world. And it's interesting how what you need to eat and survive kind of falls in in an interesting way too. Like your needs begin to be taken care of. And you realize that the anxiety that you had because of the nose <laughs> when you start existing as yourself and things like that, like everything begins to fall into place miraculously, um, which is some woohoo stuff, but I'm finding it to be true. Mm-hmm. I need mm-hmm. to be really
0: true. What type of projects are you looking to work on in the future? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. So I just, you know, my great friend Kimi Ondo, she's a writer and wonderful writer. Check out Chingu on Hulu. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, so we that's my homie that's like my soul clone is what we called it and we talk about everything under the sun and there's so many stories that reflect us as Mm -hmm. people of color that still are not told and so the projects that i want to for instance the projects that i i mentioned her because she got me into this tv writing class that she gifted me and um, i was learning a lot about what i want to do in this world with my art now going forward and i want to tell the stories that we haven't told yet because a lot of our stories are only told from the trauma aspect of it. And so I want to Mm. tell stories of black men exploring their sexuality and finding love, not because of trauma. You know Mm. what I mean? I want, I want to tell stories of like my mother being a vet of the military, becoming clinically pressed in the Netherlands and having to get out of the military, losing everything just because she needed to be with her sons because of mental illness. You know, I want to tell that story of a black woman. I want to show that film. You know what I mean? I want to tell the nuance of our stories from a place of realness and truth. And there's so much nuance and juiciness to us that we still haven't seen you know i I was just doing this thing with kimmy this is a vibe thing which is this flirting thing and um i did it with this gentleman um that's a homie of mine and like a great human and like that's a reflection of something that we do not see two black men existing as him and me we don't see in media we don't see black men being uh Us masculine or like the intersectionality of the divine feminine and masculine and like being able to be attracted to each other without it being a thing. You know, mm-hmm. without it being mm-hmm. over sexualized or without it being like someone's deceiving the world, like stories like that, stories that are exploring and investigating love and, you know, family past and future and like the complexities of love from a place of truth. Not trying to still, you know, put these structures in these boxes of black people. I still feel like sometimes the industry put us in boxes, yeah. you know, yeah. like we still go into writers, we still pitch shows and they're like, this is too much like insecure. And I'm like, this is nothing like insecure at all you know and so there's still these boxes in these lanes where the industry still looks at us like a monolith so this exists like nothing with two black women doing this thing can exist again because no and it's like yes it can because the nuance of this friendship is different over here (laughs) you know so i want to tell those stories i want to tell those stories that's where i want to go next i people always ask what's your dream role i don't feel like my dream role has been created yet because i feel like the dream role is really going to reflect something that i need that i need and something that's going to reflect something new to the world that the world needs is going to open up doors that shows us differently. I feel like the way that black men exist is changing our sensitivity, our vulnerability, our hearts, our souls, like the way we operate. Masculine alpha men, like it's so different today. It's so different. And so I want to tell those stories and make sure that we see that so that our fathers who are still living and the older men who are looking at us like, wow how is this motherfucker able to say all these beautiful things? Like, how does he know how to show up for his partner? Like, how does he, why does he not feel like a sacrifice? Why is he not at work all the time? Why does he not feel like he got to do, like our fathers are really looking at us and they're intrigued. They just don't know how. So I want to tell the story so that they get a chance to see how before they're gone um, and they're able to celebrate with us too.
0: Those are stories I want to tell. I love it, man. And I think it's, we're extremely fortunate to have the internet and social media and community and cameras and sound equipment and, 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 and and script writing programs are so inexpensive now. Um, Mm -hmm. All you need is really a, a really good community and a really good team to, you know, get your your voice out there, get your thoughts out there. You know, we don't have to be accepted by the European standard of the business or Hollywood. You know, mm-hmm. um, I, I don't know if you've seen uh, Lovecraft Country. I'm, for, I'm on the fifth episode right now, halfway Ooh. through. I am loving it. It's just the, the fact that it's so, it's looking at the past, but there's a lot of Afrofuturism in it as well you know, I'm like a, 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 a comic book buff and we don't really see too many, um, of us in the future or in comic books and stuff like that. And I really appreciate that we're able to get our voices out there. You know, it just Mm -hmm. takes a sense of community and, and just working together and, um, it's amazing man it's definitely amazing and
2: something about that show that has come up in this conversation about those past lives and like you Mm -hmm. know those souls and the work like it's all throughout that storytelling and you see the connection i love how you know they're in the time that they're in and then you'll have some hip-hop come through and then you have "Bitch better have my money like actually looking and connecting ancestry throughout the generations and through now and that connectivity which is so real and what What's beautiful about this, since shivers through my body, my body's vibrating right now. What's beautiful about it is that there's this huge awakening happening on earth right now. That's why it's happening. Like for someone to write that and for it to get a go on HBO during this time where everyone has to hear about it and see it, like the specificity of what's happening there, literally the billboard says Lovecraft Country and then it says, take your legacy back. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's so interesting. There's this huge thing that's happening. You watch Michaela Coles, I I May Destroy You. Same thing, like the way that the the stories that's being told in that and the nuance of consciousness and forgiveness while still being in your messiness (laughs) and the pacing of what that looks like in that show is so, it's just, it's saying a lot to me about what's happening in the world right now.
0: And there's so much information of us there you know over 400,000 years of stories to be told massa musa the richest black man in africa you know mm-hmm. they have game of thrones but the amount of history and context within the african continent we could have a thousand different game of thrones on tv i want that man. to
2: happen i want that to happen
0: yeah. <laughs>
2: because, like, you're absolutely right. Our games of thrones, like the specificity of our games of thrones, like, yeah.
1: ah,
0: <laughs> you um, got to write it. you going to write it. <laughs> I'm going to try, man. I'm going to try. Just do a little research. Um, Speaking of the continent, you went to the University of Cape Town, right? To uh, I did. What was that? What was that like, man? How was going uh, home like?
2: Uh, It was everything. A lot happened while I was there. And the program had just started when I started at Arcadia. And so it was a very fresh program. I think we were the second group to go to South Africa. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as an actor, I always thought that I would go to London, like go to London, do the theater thing. Right. And again, Western, you know, that influence. (laughs) And then I saw Kate. I was like, no, that's where I'm going. And when I was there, you know, I studied theater and education while I was Mm -hmm. there. And I learned a little bit of language, Kosa, although I can only say details. I can Kosa. That's it. (laughs) I didn't really learn it. That's all I can say. But like I was when I was there in theater and education, going back to Unleashed Talent Production, I ended up devising a show Mm -hmm. based on what youth in South Africa in that moment of now were going through about self-identity with the south africans who were diverse black colored and white south africans Mm -hmm. to create this show from scratch and then tour this show to schools and townships schools and affluent parts of south africa of cape town Um, and so i was doing the work that reflected again how i got started in this thing Mm -hmm. and so it was amazing um, to be in the midst of education talking about things that speak to the spirit and the soul and going inward. And I didn't know when I was doing it, I was not conscious of these things. It's the reflection back on what was happening then, Mm. um, that really, really was so invigorating being in Cape town. And I was that person too, that, uh, you know, I left the Americans, you know, of course you study abroad. A lot of times Americans end up hanging out with Americans, you know, and I would leave the group and hang out. I would seek the South Africans and the Cape tonians and be with them. And, um, that, you know, taught me a lot, you know? That taught me a lot about brotherhood, you know? Mm -hmm. That taught me a lot about community. My first day off the plane, I went to a bar to have a beard. this black South African came up to me and he said, yo, where you from? I'm like, I'm from the States, you know, Maryland. He says, what's your name? I said, Jamal. He said, why the fuck is your name Jamal if you're not Arabic? And I was like, ugh. And me and this guy got into a long hour and some change conversation over a beer going back and forth over so many things in our world. He asked me, he said, do you think that the hoods in America are harder than the hoods in South Africa? And do you think the poverty over there is worse than the poverty over here? Like, what do you think about these things? And I said, what I think is if you're hungry and you don't have a roof over your head and you don't have a place to call home, then you're homeless. I don't think we can quantify struggle in the midst of like, I don't have food over here. I don't have food over here. I think that's the problem that disconnects us as people around the world and especially about black people and i had never been in a situation especially out of my cultural context in a new country you know what i mean where we're looked at a certain way you know where i was first day having these real conversations real conversations that ended in us hugging each other and laughing while people around us were like oh my gosh what is going to happen and so south africa did a lot for me. It connected me back to the earth. I went to Botswana, Zambia, Zimbabwe, walked with lions. I camped out for 10 days in different places every night, pitching my own tent, carrying a jug of water. And I was not a nature person and I was not an animal person at all. However, I walked into my fear And I started to see the world differently. And I think that also changed me as an actor because my senses were different. Like everything, like sense, nature, sounds, everything became more alive, going to nature and being forced into that. Not forced, I made the choice to walk into the place where I was always afraid of. And so South Africa presented to me what my fears were, presented to me a pathway to walk through my fears and get to like, oh, if you walk through the fear, you realize that the fear was always a construct that you projected on yourself. And you have more. You have more. You have more limits. <laughs> you have your 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 vision for your life is actually boundless. You're bounding yourself with your fear. So that's what I learned
0: in mm. South Africa. That's that's definitely interesting. Um, it's almost like you when you travel, your perspective is broadened, and I, I don't want to say you're no longer an American, but you don't think. Like an american per se anymore you know it's like your 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 mind expands
2: and you have the choice to still be stuck in that and i think it's uh depends on where you're at in your journey Mm -hmm. um because i think it's a human experience to want safety right and so being in a different cultural context you might not know if you can like exist and like really get your voice through or if you're going to be disrespectful like you know what i mean like americans travel americans travel with entitlement too we just run through stuff when we go to places right and so that's a perspective i think for me though um, like something bigger than me was calling me to it, you know, like because of South Africa, I now travel by myself. Like I travel out the country by myself. I go on vacation by myself. Um, you know, I went to new Orleans by myself uh, a year ago for a week and it was glorious, you know, Seattle, Washington. And so I think traveling can do that for you, but being alone in places that are different too will teach you the most It's when you're alone in a different place at a coffee shop, talking to a stranger that you might not have had a conversation with, where I learned the most. I've been at tables with like a 90-year-old, you know, or like I've been at a table with like a 20-year-old or like so many different types of beings sitting with the coffee and then somehow energy connects and they ask just one simple question and that awakens a conversation where you're seeing a human being that's so different than you, but you're seeing them. You're seeing them. And I think that comes from a place of, again, you got to go. I think either you got to hear that call or you got to go inward first. When you operate in the world, you're just sensitive to like, oh, this energy here is intriguing. I can ask this question, you know?
0: Yeah. I think basic human instinct is to find that community, you know, Mm -hmm. because to our previous form, we're basically tribalistic in a sense you know yeah whether it's religion whether it's um political class or whatever you know mm. we're, we're we're all basically tribalistic in a sense and um yeah it could be a detriment and it could be good at times but you know um that's that's who we are as people yeah
2: the thing is being aware that we exist in these tribes I, l- I love the thing that people say you know all the time like you know we come from kings and queens you know i'm a king i'm a queen i'm like yeah we all the kings and queens but if we go truthfully if we go back mm. to back to africa like all of us were not motherfucking kings and queens yeah. there was a hierarchy there <laughs> there was a hierarchy there too there was somebody always trying to get up so let's not fool ourselves and mm-hmm. think that mm-hmm. we don't because you're right we exist in this uh this tribal culture i think the thing that's challenging with the context of america is is that some of us are conscious of that, but like the people who are in empowered seems not to be conscious of that. And if they just become conscious of that, we'll stop, you know, making this a left and right thing and making this an American Black Lives Matter thing as a contrast to the American thing. Like we gotta lose these identifications in order to see that this community in which we live in now <laughs> is where we need to come together. And we live in this, this or that world, this or that, which is to com- antithetical to community. You know, if you're trying to build a country built off of democracy and community and us a, a freedom for all, it's like no, that's not how we exist.
0: I mean, I definitely have my uh, conspiracies on that, and uh, I, I do believe that everything is in this country is created the way it is for a reason. But
1: <laughs> that's ding, just ding, my- ding 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 ding.
0: Side note We, um, got, we just got to be intrigued by it, That's yeah. and when you get intrigued by it,
2: even though some of the stuff doesn't look pretty, you know, it becomes uh, I don't know, it becomes an interestingly fun exploration because, again, mm. being on your purpose, you feel alive. You yeah. feel alive actually being able to see what is. And they say, okay, these things are happening because they have to happen. We built this stuff. It didn't just happen yesterday. And so like, mm-hmm. okay, so this is work to do. Where do I fall in? It becomes fun where you can be present in this thing rather than, again, keeping yourself in suffering. What can you do?
0: <laughs> um, which do you prefer, uh, film or the stage? Ah, this question always comes <laughs> up. <laughs> For me, Both.
2: You know, um, again, going back to my method as an actor telling the truth. um, Yes, there are technical differences from being on film than being on stage. However, the journey of an actor is within that context to tell the truth of the human experience. And so Mm -hmm. for me, if I'm telling the truth of a human experience, you know, and I feel alive in doing that and I'm learning while doing that, whether it's on stage or whether it's with the camera here, my job as an actor is the same. The only thing that difference is that i'm not going to shout to the back row and a 100 seat auditorium or 500 seat auditorium the thing is that oh i'm gonna speak softer you know because like this is actually right here it's intimate and i do think that theater training teaches you that because sometimes people say theater actors don't know how to get on film and be small and i was like yes that's just like you know a uh, muscle that's being worked but i would argue that if that actor becomes conscious we learn the same thing in the theater too Because if you're on Broadway, there's a different type of projection than if you're in a black box space with 25 seats. You don't speak as loudly as you would. Like we actually do get that training to like adjust and you learn how a whisper can be a whisper and the last row can still hear it if you're actually speaking to the person and sending that message to them. And so the nuance of it for me is a technical thing, not a artistic thing. Cause the art for me is telling the truth through the character, not if I'm on the stage or if I'm on screen. Um, or doing a radio play, cause um, so I do voiceover stuff sometimes too, um, and so yeah, it's just telling the truth. So I love it all. I love it all. I do. Here's what I'll say. I do think that there's something spiritual about the stage because you have to have community that's going into a basement with no windows to rehearse this thing with all these spirits on the page to have a discourse about awakening that and in the midst of that you have sound in the midst of that emotion is triggered in the midst of that people hit blocks and you see insecurities that come out that's because I'm working as an actor like humanity is activated in an interesting way when you get people in a room to work out some stuff to decide on what this is going to be and then to journey through the complexities of that there's a spiritual thing through community that happens with being in the stage whereas on TV and film um, if you're not a regular on TV, uh, you're there for the day, you know what I mean? Or if you're a guest, so you don't meet, you do a film, you might do a film in two weeks, you might do a film for six months, depending on, or years, depending on the complexities or what it is. However, like you leave that and you never go back to it again, you know what I mean? And like you get there, you get there, and you sometimes meet your lover the first day and you're shooting the love scenes, you know? Whereas in theater, you are rehearsing this week after week, You're figuring out the character, but you're also figuring out how you feel comfortable as a human with this person. You know, so you have to negotiate and communicate in a different way. And there's time and space to do that. And so I think the spirituality is awakened in a different way on the stage. And then you have an audience that you can feel the vibrations from every night. Where that energy is coming back at you. And So I do think that theater is a different spiritual experience than film is.
0: theater is almost as old as the first human beings. You know what I mean? Like it's older than religion. Um, Mm -hmm. Before humans had written language, they would tell stories and they would project Mm -hmm. and they would act and they would do all these subtle nuances to, you know, get their messaging across uh, uh, generations. You know what I mean? So, it's yes, indeed, a spiritual movement. Um, and I think that I love movies, I'm a movie buff, but I feel it more when I sit in the audience and watch mm-hmm. a play. You know, I feel it mm-hmm. in my spirit a lot more. Mm-hmm.
2: And, and you have to talk about it too. You don't have to, you can just go to your car and go home, but there's an intermission where everyone that just had that experience in the dark has to see each other sit in the lobby, run bump into somebody, say, excuse me, can I grab that? Yeah. That's right. Like you get to hear the conversations happening when you go to the movies, you're watching it and then you get in your car and go home. You don't get the community experience of hearing the air shot or feeling the energy shift in space. You know what I mean? Uh, It's interesting. And I do think it happens like, you know, when I watched passion of the Christ, I feel like when those lights came up in that movie theater, it felt different. Uh, Although I saw moonlight, it was interesting. It was me, a black man, and then a white gay couple, one of which I worked with in Chicago and hadn't seen since I worked with him in Chicago. And this is like, eight years later and even that energy of seeing this black queer story and then getting up as these queer beings and seeing my blackness and their whiteness you know what I mean and their relationship they're married like even that we had to see each other even walking in we were aware what moonlight was and how we were so different you know and so I do think that certain uh film experiences uh can have that but there's so much spectacle with film these days too, right? You know, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of, you know, you sell out the movie theaters these days where it's like the big superhero thing, the big bang thing, you know, um, it's not often that we go like we used to, I think. And I can be wrong. This is actually, I don't know if this is true, but I don't think that we go to the movie theaters as much as we used to, to really feel deeply. Mm, mm.
1: You know, just to, those it's movies. just to cut us
0: off from society, basically shut our minds off. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and so I always find when I go to the theater to feel feel deeply, it's a a lot more seats open, (laughs) (laughs) you know?
0: Yeah, so um, just a last question for you. Um, What advice would you give a young 14-year-old Jamal just entering Suitland High School? Out of all the the, the knowledge you've gained today, um, what advice would you give a young Jamal? Uh,
2: that perfection isn't real. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: I think I missed a lot. The moments that I miss in my life still today is when I'm focused on being perfect. Again, it's outside of myself is being perfect so that the perception and the response that I get back is a reflection of the hard work that I did right like giving to get so I'm going to get this role right not because I want to awaken this human but because I want this professor and I want this audience member to laugh and I want them to know that I can act and cry on the stage like there was all these other things that were more ego involved when I was 14 um, than exist at all today you know and so I think that it would have felt more artistic and more freeing to be at 14 if I would have gave my position to do such. But I didn't know, I think I wasn't supposed to know, you know, because if I, if I knew it then, I don't think I would have had the journey that I've had. Of course I wouldn't have had the journey that I've had now, um, but that's what I would go back and tell. And that's what I tell the kids I'm working with now. I just got finished teaching some high school kids in Hartford and uh, I was telling them again, awaken your sense of wonder and whatever you have inside you right now, Everything you need to play any character is inside of you right now because everything that you need to play any character is based on your consciousness of humanity and how we operate within these roles in the world. And if you're conscious of that, then you will always have a wondrous mind seeking out and seeing the way that we behave and the patterns that we engage in. We all do. They're all different. So it's not a good or bad thing, better or worse thing. I'm better than you thing. It's just this awareness, but it comes from how you see how you hear. Um, And so I would give myself the same advice I give my kids today. You are enough. Your thoughts are enough. And even if you feel like you don't know, that's juicy. Like you don't have to have an answer. You don't have to know. That I don't know, the fact that you can say I don't know and mean it because you don't know and recognize that, that's awakening consciousness. And then stuff starts to fall in when you can say I don't know. And I praise my kids when they say, I don't know. And I realized that when I was younger and I didn't know the answer in class, I wasn't praised for it. Now I realize that the I don't know is where you explore. That's actually the education, giving the student the information that they need to explore, even through history, looking at facts. And then looking at the facts and then how does those facts based on history reflects in how we play these roles today that awakens the juiciness that's going to guide you to your career, you know? Mm. And so I love to awaken the sense of wonder, um, with my kids. And so I would go back to the 14 year old boy and say, yo, explore more. Perfection is
0: not real. Like mm. right? You don't got to impress nobody. Mm. Not even yourself. That's, that's, that's heavy, man. That's heavy and, and beautiful. At the same time, um, so, do you have any socials you want to give the people so they can look yes, at your yes, work? Yes, yes, yes. Absolutely,
2: you? absolutely. So, my social medias are running right now, but I'm not on social media right now. But you can find me at at I am Jamal Douglas on Twitter and Instagram. That is at I am Jamal Douglas. Like I'm introducing myself. Hi, I am (laughs) Jamal Douglas. (laughs) So easy to find me there. I'm also one of three wonderful beings on a podcast called Living Millennial um, with Brittany and Mandisa. And you can find us on all podcast listening services. So Apple, Spotify, Anchor, you'll find us, Living Millennial Podcast. Um, You can also find us on social media as well. That's Mm same handle, Living Millennial Podcast. And uh, yeah, that's me. I'm in LA doing my thing. I'm always open for a conversation. And so hit me up. I I love talking to people and uh, getting to know people that I don't know. And so, yeah, it'll be great to communicate with your audience.
0: Sweet, man. I'm definitely going to check out Living Millennial Podcast. And uh, I just want to thank you again, brother. Thank you for joining me. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. Check out living millennial podcast. And I always, this is what I love to do.
2: I listen to podcasts. I don't know what you do. I always start currently. And then I go back to the beginning. Cause you know, with podcasts you grow. (laughs) And so start on this current season. We got three episodes up right now and then go back to the beginning. Um, because this, this season, all the seasons have been cool. But this season, is with the time that we're in, yeah. the conversation is a little different. And yeah. uh, I like that to be the end from my perspective. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Absolutely, man. Thanks again, brother. Awesome. I appreciate
2: you. Take care of yourself. And I hope to see you soon when the world's open back up and things are safe. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Where are you right now, actually? Uh, I'm in D.C. Oh, you're in D.C.? Okay. Yeah, well, I'm in gonna, DC. I'll hit you up. We'll yeah. figure out something in life.
0: Cool, cool, cool. All right, man. Take care of yourself. All right, man. Have a good one. Peace. Peace, family. Thank you for tuning in into another episode of Creative Habits Podcast. Here is your quote of the day. We know what we are, but know not what we may be. William Shakespeare. Don't forget to like, subscribe and share. Peace, family. Have a good one.